1: And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than two hundred thousand Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a twenty-year warranty, and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit Douglas.ca/CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash Canada Land.
2: April Fool's joke, Dad, I'm pregnant. I think I didn't realize the extent to which he would, like, freak out. Yeah. Um, I didn't understand, like, men of that generation the way I do now.
1: Oh, this happened.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, maybe I've grown up into less of a dick. That's good. Yeah.
1: Aliyah Pabani, you are the host of The Impostor. You're the new host of The Impostor, but the first host of The Impostor, really.
2: Well, let's see how things shake out at the end of the
1: day. No, you're going to host the damn show. Um, I'm actually afraid to talk to you right now. Last time, I did like an hour with Chandler, who was the uh, first person who was supposed to host the show, and we talked about her her personal history and her hopes and ambitions for the show. She was very charming, and then somebody offered her a better job.
2: Yeah, yeah, I heard it. (laughs) It was great.
1: (laughs) So let's not do that. (laughs) We're very, very happy that you're doing this. We didn't want to just be like, well, who's our second pick? So we went back to the whole audition process.
2: I don't know if you noticed this, but I actually came up with the idea of one of the hurdles as a joke. You did? Yeah, I said when I was leaving our like casual coffee chat that we had, yeah. that as a kind of final round, you should have everybody fight to death by interviewing the same person and just see who interviews them better. And then I got an email saying, would you like to do that?
1: I have this bad habit of thinking things were my idea.
2: Oh, great. I'm looking forward to that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so how was the death match?
2: It was great. It was a really great experience.
1: We threw you into this like small studio with a strange man you'd never met before. And you uh, had a lot of confidence and curiosity. And then you tried to bribe him within the first few minutes.
2: I don't remember that. What yeah, did that
1: happened. <laughs> we'll play it Roll someday. tape.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think that's quite enough. People are going to have to listen to the show if they want to hear more of you. Great. When is the show launching?
2: The show will be launching mid July, barring some accident or a better offer. And we have a contract. (laughs) So July 13th is the date that we've set. And oh, that's
1: it. Don't say, don't like leave any wiggle room. July 13th. That's when it's happening. That's when it's happening. And then, uh, yeah, we're going to do bi weekly over the summer. That's correct. Are you into it? Are you excited? There's not really much choice. You have to say so, even if you're, you know.
2: I'm I'm so excited. Yeah? I couldn't be more excited. This is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Are you serious? I mean, it's the best thing that's happened this year so far. But that's let's see what we get thing. like what's let's see what we get. We're like halfway through, so <laughs> a lot of things can change, you know.
1: You you give me the sense that you just know what you're doing.
2: So, I just pretend.
1: I'm sure you'll fool everyone. <laughs> Where can people go to subscribe to The Imposter?
2: If you want to subscribe to The Imposter, head over to canadalandshow.com. And you'll see a very prominent article about our new show featuring an image of me lying down in a parking lot. In your pajamas. In my pajamas, well, someone else's pajamas. And <laughs> I didn't know that. if you go to that article, you'll find a link for the podcast in iTunes. And if you're anti iTunes, you can subscribe via the RSS feed.
1: Just in case we are not putting enough pressure on you, we are also doing a, a live taping of The Impostor. Can you tell us about that?
2: Yeah, so that's something I'm super excited about. It's going to happen at the beginning of August at the Gladstone Hotel on August 3rd. And we have a bunch of acts already lined up and we're still kind of trying to figure out the other ones, but it's going to be great. There's going to be comedy. There's going to be live performance, there's going to be me staring out into the audience wearing a nice outfit. So if you'd like to attend and meet the show and meet me, tickets are only ten bucks and you can find tickets via our website.
1: There's not a ton of seats at the Gladstone. We want this to be an intimate event. Aliyah. Yeah. I'm so jealous of you. There are few things that are more terrifying and exciting than what you're doing now like starting a new show you don't know what it is you've got all these ideas and ambitions for it but you've never heard it before yourself but you know everyone will love it you only get out of what get what's in your head out to everybody i just like i'm watching you kind of go through this process that is somewhat familiar for me but i haven't done it in a while and i'm jealous like i just am so excited i think it's going to be so wonderful
2: i am too (laughs)
1: Of the National Post. Also known
0: as uh, one of the chief jackals among the pack.
1: We're going to talk today about Brexit and how that was covered here in Canada. We're going to quickly talk about the horrible, horrible media layoffs this week and uh, and a secret event that I attended. We're going to talk about uh, this Amanda Todd story.
0: Welcome back to Candleland Shortcuts. Thank you for having me.
1: This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Alroy Fonseca, Paul Merriam, Josh Harrower, Adam Day, Jeff Wanamaker, Tony Wallace, Kenneth Cronin, and Sam Pinto. Sam, why did you decide to be awesome? Because Canada Land keeps me entertained on my walk to school. Jen, this episode is also brought to you by Casper Mattresses. Correct me if I'm wrong, you're you're at home in Calgary right now, but you are very, very pregnant. Is that is that accurate?
0: Uh, I would say, like, I'm moderately pregnant. I'm, like, uh, you know, I'm sticking out a bit, for sure. I'm pretty I'm pretty monstrously adorable, and I've discovered that this allows me to get away with no end of mischief and mayhem.
1: <laughs> After a day of mischief and mayhem, uh, of pregnant mischief and mayhem, you really do need to have, like, the best mattress you can get. I mean, your bed is going to become increasingly important in your life. Let me mansplain this to you. It's, uh... <laughs>
0: Tell me all about being pregnant, Jesse Brown. I'm really curious.
1: <laughs> all about your mattress needs. <laughs> um, Casper has just, they've solved this problem. They have brought the price of a very good mattress way down by getting rid of various middlemen, including those ridiculous showrooms. They provide an obsessively engineered mattress, Jen, at a shockingly fair price, combining springy latex and supportive memory foam to create an award winning sleep surface. I need a mattress that wins awards. I don't know about you it has just the right sink and just the right bounce Uh, I do sleep on a Casper mattress I I vouch for this quite genuinely I love this thing and they just ship it to you they send a box to your house and it's completely risk free you just like slice open the the plastic casing and voomp the mattress comes out you try it out for a hundred nights risk free if you don't love it they pick it up they take it back out of your home they refund you everything Jen I know this is important to you Casper mattresses are made in America
0: why would that be important to me?
1: I don't imagine there would be, but it's something that I'm supposed to tell everybody about Casper mattresses. Here, Here's something that might be important to people who are thinking about a new mattress. You'll get 50 bucks off of their already very low prices if you go to casper.com slash Canada Land and use the offer code Canada Land. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks, Casper. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help.
0: A truly historic day. The United Kingdom has voted to leave the European Union. The aftershock of Britain's vote to remove itself from the European Union continues to ripple through the country and across Europe. What does it all mean for Canada? Canada has always had a close connection to the UK. Does any of this affect you?
1: Does it affect us? What does this mean for Canada? What does this mean, Jen? What does what is, what is Britain's exit from the European Union mean for Canada? And what did you think of the Canadian coverage of Brexit?
0: Well, sit down, as your you know go-to expert on uh, trade relations, Brexit, and the the longstanding Britain-Canadian relationship. I will be happy to explain everything that this means for Canada and how it will all pan out over the next you know three to. Thirty years. Wow, <laughs> no problem. I'll get right on that. Look, I mean, the the truth of the matter is, I think that nobody really knows what this this means just yet. Uh, it's, it will certainly mean a lot of short term instability. Uh, both in the markets and politically. I mean, we've already seen that with uh, Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn sort of being asked to to resign, losing the confidence of his cabinet and then saying no. (laughs) And David Cameron throwing his hands up in the air saying, "Eh, I'm out, Uh, Boris Johnson, likely the next p.m., having no apparent plan for what to do now that they've won. So uh, I think we can safely say that all of uh, Britain's in chaos. But, um, you know, how that's going to affect Canada in the long run, whether it's going to benefit us or hurt us, Uh, how we're going to get caught up in these sort of trade shocks. I mean, no one can predict that. No one at all can predict that.
1: Why don't I tell you what I gleaned as somebody who does not pay very close attention to this. So I was really experiencing this for the first time when the news broke. Sure. What I got from the Canadian press was like to summarize, holy shit, this is really, really bad. And it's a bunch of old racists fault. Yeah, Uh, and so I, I that 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 the sense that I got was like, uh, just to kind of expand a little bit, that we that Britain has shocked the world by moving against the arc of history, against modernity and hum- and like humanistic trends towards inclusiveness itself, and because of some ill-informed old rural Brits who only had the chance to make this vote because of really self-serving political machinations and short-sightedness by David Cameron, as a result. Not only is the UK fucked, but everything's up for grabs right now and and the world is going to degrade into a a series of like feuding nation-states if Europe was ever anything but. Uh, This will not be formalized and we'll see secessionist movement after secessionist movement.
0: Well, I mean, the key statement there is if Europe was ever anything but, right? Yeah, that is the easiest possible hot take that you could could come up with on five minutes after reading a couple of pages of The Economist. The idea that all of uh, 17 million voters... Um, voted to leave the EU because they were stupider and racist, more racist than us, um, not only makes us as Canadians feel great because it bolsters our own totally cosmetic, uh, uh, liberal sense of self, but at the same time, it gives everybody a very, very quick go-to column hit that they need to, to get in their papers for the next day.
1: But is it so, not accurate? Is, is, isn't it's, that kind of it's, true? It's not,
0: it's not that it's not accurate. It's just that I would say that it's just really, really simplistic. Um, Trying to reduce any shift or vote like this down to the most self-serving, simple explanation that you possibly can. Look, I understand that impulse and that instinct. I just think it's, it's not very useful. And I think that it probably contributes to the sense of polarization that politics in the U.S. and to a far lesser extent in uh, in Canada deals with right now. Look, w- when you can just say that the people on the other side of the, the, the breach are stupider than you and racist and wrong and just dismiss them as that, you're... Missing an opportunity not only to talk to the other side, but to persuade the other side. And if I think that there was actually a failure of the Remain campaign in Britain, it was in failing to address some of those racist attitudes head on and failing to address what were actually legitimate concerns about immigration and migration into their country. By, by reducing that side of it to just, well, those people are bigots and racists, so we can ignore them. They actually gave that side an enormous amount of power, an enormous amount of political leverage that eventually won.
1: It's so easy to just think about uh, Trump supporters or gun nuts or Brexit leave supporters uh, in a certain way. I just get curious. Well, what would they say? I know what everybody on my Facebook feed says about them. But, like, how do they justify supporting this stuff that just seems so stupid? And I actually found it difficult. Yeah to connect with their point of view, not not to understand it, but to find their point of view. Yeah. And somebody was actually sharing on Facebook a an open letter to Facebook saying, why are you keeping me in such a bubble that I'm just getting echo chamber results of everybody who agrees with me? I want to know what the Leave side has to say and I can't find it.
0: Or or even better yet, you see the way that the Leave side is portrayed now after the referendum. Well, these people were just, they didn't know what they were voting for. Did you see the Google results after that? These people were all just too ignorant. They didn't understand what was yeah, 17 million British people did not vote to leave the EU... And then not know what they were voting for. You can't take like an anecdotal man on the street interview taken from leave from from London Heathrow Airport about someone who was like, oh, I didn't know what I was voting for, and extrapolate that to 17 million voters. That's
1: wasn't dumb. there some more scientific? I, I, I for some reason 30% was is the number that comes to mind. Somebody told me, oh yeah, 30% of the people who voted leave didn't think it was actually going to happen. I don't know what sample group or methodology was used. Yeah, what now sample that's that's in group or
0: methodology? And not only that, but how do you prove that? And not only that, but I, I mean the thing is yeah of course there 's going to be a buyer 's remorse after a referendum or or a vote like that that is that 's normal that 's to be expected i mean if you if they if Britain had voted to stay in the eu you know, you could just as easily have found those anecdotes from people who had buyer's remorse who said, well, I voted to stay in but now that I'm really looking at it, I, I changed my mind. I got, You know, you would expect the Google results to, to be uh, questions like, what is the EU the day after that referendum, regardless of what the actual outcome had been? There's actually a lot more going on here, and I'm not going to pretend to be an expert in Brexit or anything like that. I think Paul Wells did an excellent piece and started with you know, listing a bunch of facts about the EU and if you can't answer three out of ten of them, then shut up, but I think he's about right. (laughs) I think there were legitimate concerns about the EU, and I think that... um... Uh, how how it works How it functions How migration works How immigration functions Within that union um, You know Some of it was racism And some of it was Actually legitimate concern There there was a lot of Not only racist sentiment But just straight up Nativist sentiment A sense that You know We as a nation Are losing our identity As Britain And and, and how do we Hold on to that Because that's something That we value Well oh, you know,
1: tomato, no, tomato tomato, tomato no, no, how, but, like, like, no, Are those no, no. really Separate impulses is Potentially oh, yeah, You're, you're
0: going to tell me On the eve of Canada Day That nativism is isn't a present in Canada as well that we, no, that, I, we I, I, that we don't, don't that we don't have a sentiment that we don't have a sentiment of Canadian identity that we value and find useful and that is it is that necessarily racist or xenophobic for us to have that sentiment? I mean, we can have that debate and that argument, but. I'm not quite sure it holds up. Um, you know, and if you also look at some of the some of the particular propaganda that came out of the Leave side, and don't get me wrong, I'm no great defender of Leave. I think this whole thing has been a giant clusterfuck. But, you know, I think the, uh, there was a BBC article that said that the single most remembered fact, the single most remembered thing about the entire Leave campaign was a stupid bus that <laughs> had plastered on the side something to the effect of we give the EU £350 million every day. Why is that money not going to our National Health Service? So it had as much to do I think with uh, uh, the, the the financial ties, it had as much to do with sort of individual sovereignty, sovereignty ties. It had concerns about, uh, you know, the meddling of Brussels, the meddling of of, of, of uh, regulations, the the overregulation of trade, and then you had an, a, a sentiment there that was. Uh, outwardly nativist and, and a sentiment there that was certainly very racist as well. But then even within the racist sentiment, I think you had an element of of legitimate concern about migration and immigration and Britain losing its control over its immigration policy. And, you know, how much of that was racism and how much of that was, was based in, in Uh, in based in legitimate fear. I mean, I...
1: I I think that there's a difference between being overly simplistic and reductive, as you're suggesting, and losing sight of the forest for the trees. You're parsing this out and you're saying it was very complicated. It's always very complicated. There's always a lot that goes into it. There's always somebody who can mount some kind of a rational sounding-ish defense. But doesn't this ultimately boil... Like, isn't it just what it is? Not to provide a reactionary hot take contrarian opinion to your (laughs) reactionary hot take contrarian opinion about other people's reactionary hot take contrarian opinions. But like... It, they, they, they're, they're shutting the borders. That's what the, the, if, if the overall overriding sentiment was, this hasn't worked. We don't want you people here anymore. We don't want to give you our money. We don't want to give up our culture. We want to close the doors. We want to be the way it was in the old days. It, it wasn't this the old generation, the whiter generation saying, let's go back to some imagined romantic past, basically doing about faces to where th- where we thought we were all heading together. And I mean, I just felt very sad after it happened. I felt like this was a a really dark day for like human history, not to overstate it, but like,
0: well, let's have, let's have that conversation from a Canadian perspective, shall we? Because I think Colby Kosh's column on this was actually a, a a very, very pointed and he made some excellent uh, points as well.
1: Colby Kosh's headline was uh, Britain voted for Brexit because it wants to be Canada and we hate the idea, or at least his editor's headline for his piece. Yeah. Well, Britain wants to be Canada and we hate the idea. Look,
0: have you read, have you read the piece? I've read the piece (laughs) Because because I hate to break it to you But what those leavers all voted for Was pretty close to the model Canada currently
1: has with the US Yeah, but there's a difference between leaving and never having You know, there's always breaking up relationship. You're
0: sitting here getting sad about the loss of young Britain's mobility rights, for example, and I'm I'm sad about the loss of young Britain's mobility rights as well. I think I've got friends in Britain, and and it's really sad that they're not going to be able to work in those 28 countries and the opportunities they're going to lose. Lose. I'm empathetic to that choice, and it's not the choice I would have made myself. But at the same time, we're two Canadians. We're stuck in Canada. We can't easily work outside. We live in in a country that has close borders that has a points-based immigration system that's very similar to what the leave- leavers would have, would have britain adopt. You know, you and I can't go pick up and go work in New York or Guadalajara. We can't. And if we were to actually propose some kind of you North American union where you and I could go and do those things, who do you think would be crowing bloody murder about it? Our parents our parents would absolutely they'd be like <laughs> they'd be like you can't no we're not going to we're not going to let you create an economic and political union that allows our children to go work anywhere in North America because they'll just clear out of our country and they'll just they'll take all of all, all of our education and our, and, our, and and, and our resources with them and they'd be bloody right.
1: Would you vote for that though?
0: Sure. Wouldn't you have to go work in New York of course like, no, you know, I would. I would-
1: I'd like to have the option, I guess.
0: I'd vote for that in a second. And this is why if I were in Britain, I would probably uh, vote to remain because those are fantastic mobility rights for people like you and I in our 30s who are mobile and able to pick up.
1: Okay, so we agree. It's dumb old people that did this. See, we've come to a consensus.
0: Would that kind of an economic policy uh, be good for our country? That is actually the debate that needs to be had here. I mean, Christ, the EU controls what most of uh, Britain's food regulations, food controls. Here in Canada, we have a conversation about supply management, and all I get is a a Twitter and a Facebook feed inundated with people warning me that if we dismantle supply management, we're going to be inundated with poisoned American milk. I mean, we have one of the most parochial, insular, closed-off economic, political, and uh, immigration policies you could possibly ask for, and yet we're then criticizing Britain... For trying to create exactly the same thing that we currently have, I mean, do you? What, you're going to tell me that uh, you know right-minded liberal Canadians would be super happy if our immigration and migration policy were dictated out of Washington? You're going you're gonna to tell me they would they would sign up for that on mass? I don't I don't goddamn well think so.
1: All I'm telling you is that I find it really really adorable and strange that your 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 Facebook feed is filled up with supply chain management uh, <laughs> extre- extremists.
0: <laughs> You joke, but I'm not kidding. I have a lot of very, very passionate wonks in my Facebook feed.
1: Jen, I would like to duly note that this was a particularly shitty week in a year or a decade of shitty weeks for the Canadian media. Uh Global News' investigative news magazine program 16 by 9 was canceled. It's one of the few – I mean, it's an old format, but they actually like invest a lot of time and money in doing investigations. They've done wonderful work in the past, even though they've censored some stories that they shouldn't have, but that came from management. Anyhow, they won't be censored anymore because they have been canceled. They're gone, and the investigative journalists who work there are all gone as well. And BuzzFeed, grand opening, grand closing, BuzzFeed's parliamentary bureau is done. And uh, Emma Loop and Paul McLeod, who did some really good work uh, in a year or so there, BuzzFeed uh, has basically, uh, Paul's going to Washington, D.C. And I don't know what Emma's going to do. She might severance out. Uh, She hasn't said. But uh, BuzzFeed no longer has a presence in Ottawa. So there's that much less journalism in Canada this week.
0: And that is very sad.
1: It is very. You know what? I'm. I'm. I'm going to once again break duly noted format, and I, I just have to tell you about where I where I'm coming from, from this from this morning. <laughs> I was at a strange thing this morning. I mentioned this last week on the show. Um, I was invited to like. Apparently, the Liberal government, the Heritage Ministry, has asked this. Uh, Ed Greenspan used to be the editor in chief of the Globe and Mail. He's now running this think tank, Public Policy Forum, and and the Liberal government through the Heritage Ministry has asked him to to figure out recommendations, research a report on. Whether they should like bail out the news media because of all this failure of the news media, and uh, so he's going about this like multi-city process of talking to all the stakeholders in the media about what we want. And Canadian Press reported on this. Uh, what this is basically like: should we get handouts or not? Should we get protectionist protectionist policies, subsidies? And I was invited. And it's all under Chatham House rule, which means I can't tell you who said what or who was even there, but I can tell you that this was the Canadian media. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: so I can tell you that it was, uh, do you you remember the Godfather when all the five families get (laughs) together and carve up the future of crime? Oh God. So, so, uh, I was there and, um, did someone wind up with with the horse
0: in the, in horses head in the, in the blanket? I mean, was it you? Did you wake up this morning and (laughs) scream? (laughs) Was that what you're going to tell me here?
1: I have never felt more sheer, unadulterated hatred uh, directed at me than I did from one particular individual. At the, like, like their face just twisted into a rictus of scorn and <laughs> loathing. As uh, I, I and I was called a booby. Um,
0: <laughs> that is basically the Canadian media equivalent of finding the horse's head inside of your blanket. <laughs> being called a booby, followed followed immediately by an unwarranted apology. <laughs>
1: I'm going to keep on uh, – this was so bizarre. I just wish uh, – never before have I been more tempted to go back on my word and tell you who said what. I can't do that. I will tell you some of the things that were said, and this is by very powerful people who are like – have a lot of say over what happens in Canadian media. First off, there was an ugly moment where people like – it was mentioned that BuzzFeed had, had you know g- killed their department. Uh, and they were referred to s- sarcastically as BuzzFeed, one of the saviors of Canadian journalism. And then everybody laughed. Um, which I felt a little bit ugly. One person said that um, millennials heroes, of course, are Gloria Steinem and David Suzuki. That was wow.
0: That. Gloria Steinem's been out there for a while now.
1: <laughs> you know, those millennials and their Gloria Steinem fixation, uh, th- there was the old canard. We are, we are training a generation to believe that content is free. What this country needs is a public conversation about why you got to pay for content. So that's like, like a ten year old uh thorn in the side that it, like if they're still hung yeah, up on it, that my god
0: ing, stop using the Gerund for no it trained it's done the thing's over now
1: yeah the horse is out of the stable genie bottle toothpaste all of that somebody actually suggested that like we do a licensing scheme like there is for music with journalism like you know so can every time you play a song there's some pennies go into some fund that when we share stories on the internet that, like somebody should figure out a way to make sure that uh... oh my god Jen it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable.
0: Yeah. I'm um, very pessimistic about the future. I mean, I think it'll all work out in the end, but I kind of feel the same way about journalism as I feel about Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> like, 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 the short term is, is going to be awful and chaotic and in the end it may lead to um, a total devolution of society and nothing more than the warring tribes continuing to Chlop um, each other's heads off as they have traditionally in the past. But, you know, uh, it may also turn out to be fine.
1: Duly noted. A court in the Netherlands has ruled the man accused of cyberbullying Amanda Todd
0: can be extradited to face trial in British Columbia. You'll remember the Port Coquitlam teen took her
1: own life four years ago after being humiliated online. I guess I wanted to touch on the Amanda Todd story because even now, all of the headlines associate her with cyberbullying. Cyberbullying—the man accused of cyberbullying her um, or humiliating her—we heard there. The, the the charge is not cyberbullying. No. Okay. This guy uh, faces seventy-two charges. He has been charged with extortion, internet luring, criminal harassment, and the possession and distribution of child pornography. Yep. This is a guy who has allegedly broken well established laws, criminal laws, where he convinced a minor to expose herself, took a picture of that, blackmailed her, said, Give me more pornographic material or I will expose this to your friends, exposed it to her friends. So now I think we're in the criminal harassment territory. Mm-hmm.
0: And she was 12 at the time, let's also point out. She was 12 at the time she exposed her breasts. So this is, this is well within the realm of child pornography.
1: These are horrible crimes. They're well-established crimes. They were carried out through the use of technology in a really alarming and, and horrible way. But there continues to be this really, I would say, dangerous blurring of what happened when her social circles responded to this and she was uh, ostracized and, and ridiculed and had such a difficult time amongst your peer group and that kind of, oh, that's the bullying, that's the humiliation. No, 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 no. That followed a methodical, predatory series of alleged crimes. Yes. I think we really need to bear that in mind. We need to make that distinction.
0: Yeah, I mean, you and I are going to have the same opinion on this one. And I think that there is a, a temptation here as and elsewhere that when something awful like this happens, we look around and we say, oh, my God, what policies aren't in place that could have prevented this? What laws aren't in place that could have prevented this? Um, we, we look for these sorts of broad solutions to these, these horrible, horrible crimes, and our temptation always seems to be, well, let's create a new law. Let's create a new policy. Let's create a new government whatever to try and prevent this. Um, oftentimes, skipping over the fact that we already have the laws in place to prevent this. We already have the tools in place to prevent this. This man just broke the law, and he broke the law egregiously and allegedly repeatedly. So, yeah, I think that 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 there there is a real problem with the cyberbullying laws as they've been brought in. They're 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 very vague. They're very open to interpretation. There is an um, an absolute concern um, from my perspective that you know. Increasingly bad but non-criminal behavior is going to get criminalized, um, and who is going to get fa- fa- fall into that trap? And for really what what end? You know what what are you preventing here? Um, I think that what happened to Amanda Todd was awful, and it very clearly falls under um, the, the the rubric of of exploitation, luring, and, and child pornography. I mean, why do we need additional cyber bullying laws? And would those have actually prevented this? Would, would those have actually addressed this? I mean, is a cyberbullying law going to do more than a child pornography law in this case? Absolutely not.
1: Retea Parsons was a case that actually did result in a cyberbullying law that I think has been struck down. Uh, mm-hmm. These are hard cases. They're outliers. Hard cases, as the saying goes, hard cases make bad laws. And if there was a concern that this was going to be an epidemic of case, of like these Extortion, luring child porn, harassment like it, it hasn't happened this is years ago now but
0: but but we also have we've got the tools the Netherlands are dealing with like they have the tools already to deal with that
1: yeah it, you know? well you know the guy' seventy two charges before it brought to justice, so I think that there is something to be said for the technology progressing faster than the uh, than the cops. But, sure. But, granted,
0: like, yeah, yeah. And as I said, as I said, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not opposed to changing laws that, so that those laws keep up with with where the technology is at, and I, you know, I think that we have to be responsive to that. But on the other hand, you know, we we, we got to balance that against not creating broad laws that that are so broad and so vague that that people start falling into this this um uh, limbo of abyss for just or getting criminalized for just what is essentially bad behavior as opposed to criminal behavior yeah
1: the part of it that, that just breaks my heart every time i hear the story and watching that video again is uh okay there was a criminal scumbag scumbag in the netherlands who did this uh, that's awful i hope that uh if he's guilty he, that he spends the rest of his life in jail i really do
0: oh god yes yes please throw the book at this that guy. would be great
1: what happened to her at her school and then the next school she went to he followed her and he he wherever she went he, she couldn't escape this guy he would he would post the picture to every peer group um it didn't have to be that big a deal that he had a picture of her topless you know and if anything can change maybe it's not the law but the the culture amongst young people that this says something so damning about her that 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 the internet has a picture of her topless. You just feel like there there was some other way that this could have played out. There was some other message she could have gotten from her her peer group or somebody within that world. It just seemed like she faced such a unanimous chorus of condemnation and and humiliation and scorn. And that actually, I think, is what you know that that's what young people care about is what their peer groups have to say about them.
0: Well, let's let's not pretend that that's a young person thing, right? Yeah. Um, let's, let's not pretend that scorn and judgment and, and, uh, uh, these types of attitudes, particularly for, for female sexuality is, is uniquely confined to the lives of 15 year olds. I mean, that, that plays out in adult life as well.
1: Yeah. And I think that some of the same people who I think sneer at the concept of there being a rape culture are the same people who would embrace tougher laws about cyberbullying. This seems to me a cultural problem.
0: Yeah, and I think that, that laws are oftentimes not the best way to address cultural problems. Um, laws are very, very effective at certain things and prohibiting certain types of direct behavior, but they're not necessarily the best way to fix, you know, really what comes down to penalization of female sexuality. Although even in this case, that, that does that's not applicable because we're talking about, you know, a 12-year-old who was coerced into showing her boobs to a man online. So, I mean, it's not even a conversation about female sexuality. It's, it's actually a conversation about coercion and manipulation. And and actually, as a society, we're very bad at that conversation. We And again, this isn't limited to just 12-year-olds or 15-year-olds, even in the adult world. We are very, very bad at understanding the subtle psychological dynamics that underlie coercion and manipulation. You know, there are people who... Prey on other people, and and they prey on young women, and they prey on other types of women, and and I think that oftentimes we as a society don't have a very good understanding of how those dynamics work, and have a tend- and we and we have a tendency to p- punish women who get into bad situations, and I think that you know Amanda Todd was on a on obviously I mean that was a, a case of young people acting very stupidly and very inappropriately, but you know those types of attitudes are pervasive throughout the culture. It's not just young people.
1: That is your Canada Land Shortcuts. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me at any time. I'm at jesse at canadalandshow.com. And we are on Twitter at Canada Land. Jen, where can people find you? Twitter at Jen Gerson. Our website is at canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash Canada Land. Subscribe to The Imposter, hosted by Aaliyah Pabani. You can do so right now uh, via our website or on iTunes. The next episode of Canada land will be up on Monday. The next episode of Canada land commons will be up on Tuesday. Syndication of Canada Land to community and campus radio across this country is handled by Russell Gregg. If you like what we do, please support us. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land. And this is about you. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you.
2: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. A Campside Media original.
1: Listen wherever you get your
2: podcasts.